0: My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to WeRSC's Inside the Trojans Huddle. Friends, Inside the Trojans Huddle is a game like panel discussion with WeRSC columnists and staff writers. We start with the pregame show where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle and then give you the latest USC Trojans football news. First, let's meet this week's panelists Mark Culkin, WeRSC columnist, who writes the Monday Morass, Yay or Nay, and Sunday Takeaways in addition to regular season football and basketball practice reports. Chris Arledge, former William Jules College defensive back and team captain, and WeRSC columnist who writes the popular column Musings with Arledge. Eric McKenney, publisher and editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, and Greg Katz, that's me, your host and moderator of Inside the Trojans Tuttle, and a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes the obvious and not-so-obvious and IMHO Sunday. Before we kick off our uh, show today, here's uh, the latest that we have for USC football news. USC football program, Trojans family and college football world is mourning the passing last Friday of inside USC inside wide receiver coach Dave Nickel, who passed at 45 from cancer. By all that knew him, Dave was universally admired, respected both as a person and as an excellent football coach. Tuesday begins the second week of spring balls. The Trojans now have 12 days left on spring practice, which includes the final day of spring ball with the Saturday, April 23rd spring game at the Coliseum. Spring game is open to the public and will be televised live on ESPN at noon Pacific time. And along the recruiting front this past weekend, the Trojans hosted that all-important visit from Seattle, Washington, Rainier Beach High offensive tackle Josh Connolly Jr., one of the last prized blue chippers, Still available from the class of 2022. We are SC's recruiting guru, Scott Schrader, reports that Connolly's weekend visit lived up to Connolly's expectations and the Trojans appear to be in a good recruiting shape. FYI, Schrader will be at Rayner Beach High for Connolly's huge announcement, which will take place on April 3rd. And Connolly was one of a number of high profile recruits that visited campus this past weekend, which also included Class of 2023 San Diego running back Roderick Robinson II, Florida offensive tackle Lucas Simmons, Texas offensive tackle Terrence Green, Louisiana star linebacker Tackett Curtis, and Louisiana corner Curly Reed. And last week, head coach Lincoln Riley indicated that he may look to add a third quarterback since he currently has just two scholarship quarterbacks, Caleb Williams and Miller Moss, available this spring. Some potentially good news, according to Lincoln Riley, quarterback Mo Hassan, who has been out following surgery on a ruptured Achilles' right uh, foot, could be back for the season in 2022. Also, last week, uh, head coach Lincoln Riley indicated that he also expects to add more transfers, that number in double digits. Last week, offensive tackle Ty Buchanan entered the transfer portal, making him the 20th scholarship player to enter the portal. And after entering the portal and then returning to Troy, walk-on place kicker Alex Stadhouse was awarded a full scholarship and is the lead candidate to win the 2022 kicking job. And finally, friends, we are SC's Inside the Trojan's Huddle. Greatly appreciate your viewer and listenership. We appreciate and encourage those of you watching on sites uh, such as YouTube and others to uh, push the like button. It's greatly appreciated and it's free. All right, it's time for the first quarter, the opening kickoff. So, panel, here is your question. From what you saw or information gathered, how would you best describe the first week of spring ball? Are things as good or as bad as they sound? Your takeaways, our leadoff hitter, as always, Mark Culkin.
1: Yeah, um, you know, they're stretching really well. They're putting out a lot of effort. Um, That's what we're seeing in those first 20 minutes or so that's, we've got a lot of good angles to see them stretch and, and condition and get a little bit of skill group work, you know, whether they're throwing the ball five, 10, 15 yards, offensive line, you know, pushing and shoving against each other. Um, just that, you know, basic surface stuff is all we get to see. Now, if, and Eric was there with me, if we listen to what the coaches say, um, USC will be lucky to be an underdog against rice when they kick off, uh, when the season begins. Uh, Brian Odom and Alex Grinch in particular, mince no words. I mean, there's a lot of work to be done according to them. So we'll take them at their word that, you know, after their first three spring practices, um, they're happy with the effort they're getting. They like the vibe according to coach Riley, but there's a lot of work to be done, including learning how to tie shoes. So, uh, you know, I, I think this week we'll get, hopefully get some more feedback, some more insight. Um, I, I know this past Saturday, they were full pads. Uh, I got a little bit of, you know, feedback from, from a couple of people saying that the defense was actually giving the offense some problems and, you know, there were some interceptions thrown. So who knows, maybe the defense isn't as bad as the coaches made it out to be. Mark, just
0: for our viewers and listeners uh when they when you talk and i think you've reported it that there is a more openness for the media mm-hmm. to wander around the field what yeah. what
1: does that actually mean so if any of them was around and I, i'm just going to use it as a reference point when Pete carroll was coaching um the media was always able to walk up and down the uh, i guess you would call that what the the east sideline fence of howard jones and then you have that that no man's land that separates Howard Jones Field from Brian Kennedy. So we actually have all that access right now where we can move around, take better photos, better video, kind of give us a better view of what's going on with the different position groups, as opposed to last year, um, you know, they had what we call the penalty box area where you're kind of just in this little roped off area. And you. we were in there longer and you got to see more. uh, But now you kind of, we, from our perspective, you can see more. I guess is the best way to describe it. Eric can probably elaborate on that a little bit more.
0: We'll get we'll get to Eric here in a second. Chris, from what you have seen, I'm sure you have looked at okay. it. Did, <laughs> did you want to add something else? No, on? I was
1: just trying to hand it off to, to support your question. So we can come back to him. Sorry, Eric, you're nobody. <laughs> no, he's somebody. All right, Chris, from
0: what you gathered, videos and stuff, what was your overall takeaway from what you could
2: gather? I don't know. I mean, how's the, uh, how's the movie I never saw or the dinner party I never attended? I, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing about, I do think, contrary to what Mark Culkin is, uh, is telling us, I do think we're going to get the, the shoe tying thing figured out. I mean, I think we're going to be on top of that. It's not Arizona State. It's USC. We're going to get that part done. Um, here's the thing about spring practice. It's oftentimes hard to know. Even if you watch a spring game it's tough to know right you' the, the guys the guys know the uh, they know the other team uh, the other side of the ball really well they, they go up against each other all the time if the offensive line has a great day you don't know whether that's because the offensive line is great or the defensive line is weak what you can usually tell by watching practice you can see some guys flash right I mean you could tell early on that Reggie Bush was special uh, you could tell <laughs> you could tell last year, that uh, Drake London was going to catch a lot of balls because you have some guys who just stand out, but without being able to actually see practice, we can't even get that. The other thing is what we do get, we get these bits and pieces. Um, sounds like they're practicing at a very quick tempo. That's great. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a peak carroll practice just because it's fast. Um, but that sounds good. Uh, and then you get bits and pieces of things that happened. <laughs> Caleb Williams apparently throwing some interceptions. I don't know what to make of that. Are these tipped balls? Are they bad routes? Or is it Caleb Williams working on some things um, that, uh, that would lead to him throwing some picks, uh, throwing balls that he may not throw in a, in a game? I mean, Caleb Williams is probably secure enough in his position that, uh, that he can afford to do that. And, and that's, the thing to, that's the thing to think about a little bit with practice, that, um, that sometimes in practice, uh, you should be working on things you're bad at. Uh, you should be you should be stretching things to see what you can accomplish. I never could afford to do that in practice because I was 5'8 and I wasn't very fast. Coaches were always looking for a reason to get me off the field, and I couldn't afford to give them one in practice. But Caleb Williams can afford to. He can could... <clears throat> and so all of that's a long-winded way of saying, I have no idea what's going on out there. And I'm not sure anybody else does either. <clears throat> and because I'm coughing uncontrollably, I'm gonna stop talking now. Yeah.
1: They look bigger, too. That's what Chris wanted to say.
2: Look bigger. Right. <laughs> uh,
0: Eric,
3: you've been down there. Are they bigger? What is your takeaways? Uh, yeah, my takeaway that there just aren't really any surprises. I think at this point coming into it, when, when the coaching staff comes in and just starts talking about we need we need to absolutely overhaul this roster they're not going to show up the first day of spring ball and say, Oh my gosh, we look great. This is amazing. Everything's set. Like that, there was going to be tough love from them. There was going to be, we've got a long way to go. We've got to get this figured out. You know, we've got to take this all the way to fall camp and we'll see what we look like then. So, so in terms of what the coaches have said and talked about, we need to work on this and and we need to do this. uh, No surprises. Also no surprises that we're hearing from plenty of people who, you know, recruits who have kind of seen it or or people involved, that it feels different. That when when Lincoln Riley came in, again, the sense was this program is going to look different and operate differently than it has before he got there. And and what we've seen over the last, I don't know, five to to 10 years um, with USC. And that's something that we've heard a lot of too. Practice feels different. It feels like some of these big time programs. And these are from people who have experienced Seeing both things, we're three practices in. Uh, this is not something where you've established, you know, years and years of this. And I think a lot of people kind of have hope that it would be that. So that I think there's that lens that you're looking at, you know, at, at it through. Also, uh, as far as I can tell, the biggest difference um, in, in kind of this spring to springs that we've seen before, there's less time stretching the the 20 minutes that we get there boy we we see a lot of football we saw see a lot of individual stuff and, and a lot of uh, drills going on rather than kind of slow walking into stretching and and that sort of thing and then the uh the, the padded helmets we had not we've not seen that before and, and that's kind of uh a funny look with some of the smaller guys where you've got like the, the big helmets and then the bigger pads on top of it but but i do think that that's part of the overall kind of reimagining the program i think it's partly just kind of health and safety stuff and it's also i think hey, we're gonna you know it, yes it's just helmets but we're gonna ding a little bit and and you know do that kind of stuff and and push things um so again i i i don't think there's a, a lot of surprises coming in i think at this point Again, through three practices, you're kind of check, check, check. Everyone's out there. Everyone's going. Not a ton of guys on the sideline watching uh, at this point. And, and, yeah, you hear a lot about kind of tempo, tempo and fast pace and speed and, and all that. Just just the buzzwords that, that you'd expect and, and want to hear um, early on in spring.
0: Well, you know, it's amazing. Uh, even though you don't get to see what I consider the meat of the practice, which would be 11 on 11, uh, which is important and i thought chris brought up an excellent point uh you don't know if those interceptions were uh busted patterns you don't know whether they were deflections i mean that does make a difference that's when the media i think if you're allowed to see it is able to say he's really throwing the ball well he just had some unfortunate passes that got broken up but my takeaways were kind of uh that you know it's all about credibility right now do you believe what you're being told uh i think in the latter part of course play helton's uh tenure the last three four years maybe even more anything he said i had i took it with a grain of salt because we had seen in the past that it just wasn't true you know we're going to be physical and they weren't we're going to be disciplined and they weren't and so what i think from what i'm taking from uh all that's being gathered is when they say there's enthusiasm at practice, I believe there is enthusiasm at practice. When they say that the, the players are really attentive, they're really listening. Uh, I believe it. I believe when I read uh, Scott Trader's reports on recruiting, when recruits say practice is different, especially for those players who have been coming to USC for the last maybe two or three years is on unofficial visits or coming up with their coaches. When I see that, you know, a lot of those guys they do not filter what they say. They, which is uh, really a blessing for all of us, because when they say they really want to win, I believe it. They really want to win, and uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, is I think that Lincoln Riley, and I'm going to write about this on Sunday. Uh, he has lived up all the money that they're paying him right now. He is changing the face of the program, the attitude, the culture uh everything that he says he would do he is doing it's not the same as when clay elton said he was going to do something you grew to believe you're not doing that you've never done that you you know why would we believe you so i took that as as a takeaway um you know i think one of the things that uh the media can notice uh when they're uh, in individual drills is maybe you can pick off who the starting offensive line might be, okay, if they they just kind of go through the motions. But really, uh, the reality is, is you just have to pick little bits of stuff. I do believe the defensive coaches, when they say, uh, like Alex Grinch and some of the others, so we got a long way to go. You know why I believe it? Because we all know they do have a long way to go. They proved it last year. They have a long way to go. Um, I'm not concerned about offense. I mean, I miss the inability to not watch them uh, to watch what how the offensive line is athletically but i I think that as the weeks go on uh more stuff will leak out from recruits and what they saw and coaches and that's a kind of a good thing to me so right now my impression is it's, it's thumbs up until i hear otherwise now let's go on to uh this whole situation i think lincoln riley really is laying the uh, pattern for another storm so we'll start the second quarter with the lincoln riley comment that he expects double digit transfers after the completion of spring ball how do you guys interpret that and how does it affect the current participating in spring, spring ball and do you expect riley's comments on double digits to really become a reality eric McKenney, your answers please
3: yeah and that's kind of what the what I, I think we talked about this um, a month or two ago, and, and that was my thought is they, they still have a bunch of room to bring guys in just based on kind of how things fell and, and scholarship numbers are always interesting. I, I mean, we, we heard Alex Sadhouse. Yeah, got put on scholarship. And, and that's a reason why he came back. The coaches never want to say exactly, yes, we have this many guys on scholarship and we have this many spots and we're going to take this many things. And they, they don't like to kind of pin themselves to that. So uh, when you're trying to guess kind of how many are available, you, you can get pretty close to And USC has a, a chunk of of scholarships still available. They had a very small 2020 class. They're able to kind of roll The 2021 early enrollees back against that they can enroll that they can roll a bunch of these early 2022 guys uh, back against the 2021 class. So you're always sort of juggling that kind of thing. But in terms of, of the initial counters that USC can bring in because they lost so many guys via the transfer portal, they can bring in those seven extra ones, which takes them up to be able to take in 32 initial counters here. And because they, they lost so many guys, they're pretty far below that 85 total limit. So they've got room to play with there. Obviously, the 85 can, can be, you know, you, you can gain more there if more players eventually go uh, via the transfer portal out of USC, which I think we all expect uh, here at, you know, during spring ball or, or after spring ball. We've seen two really recently uh, jump in there then. So yeah, I, I would expect a ton more. And, and the way I'd interpret it is Lincoln Riley has said every single time he's been asked, maybe not directly, but but certainly indirectly. And, and I think occasionally directly, they want to win right now, right now. And the way you win right now is bringing in guys who can contribute right now. So if there are potential starters out there, they're going to go chase those guys. And I think everyone on the roster right now is fighting for a spot again. Uh, you know, like has been mentioned, maybe Caleb Williams is not fighting for a spot on the roster. There, there are a few guys that I think are, are pretty safe, but boy, if, if they have a guy, you know, if, if you think you're okay at running back or okay at wide receiver, and all of a sudden some top guy in college football jumps into the portal. I don't, I don't know if there's a spot where USC wouldn't make a call and, and take a look right now. So yeah, he's shown Lincoln Riley has shown already that he can go out and get top guys out of the transfer portal absolutely I expect them to add like he said if there's 10 if there's 12 whatever that number is that they can get there because there's really no reason with with the transfer portal existing there's really no reason that you wouldn't go get a guy that has one year of eligibility if he can help your team right now and and I think that's kind of how they're going to look at it and and the best thing for USC right now so yeah I I expect um Guys in, guys out. Definitely uh, up until, you know, up, up until it's too late to go in or out.
0: Mark Alkin, revol- revolving roster door, double digits. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Naira kind of touched on it. And I think when people hear double digit, you know, additions, they're also thinking, all right, well, we're going to see another double digit subtractions, And you don't really need to go that far because, what Eric? How many numbers do we? Have? How many scholarships are available? Seven, eight. Sure, yeah, any?
3: eight, eight, something like that. You, you know, we mentioned Josh Connerly. If if he ends up right. joining the class, there, there's one there. But yeah, you, you know, you, you've got certainly more than five, you know, to play with. Even with if nobody else leaves, you still right. have a, a handful of guys that that you can bring in, maybe more.
1: Right. So you're only looking at maybe having to have two or three guys on the current roster leave to reach that double-digit number. Um. And so, yeah, to answer your question, Greg, yeah, it's a revolving door right now. I think um, Lincoln kind of hinted that, you know, maybe the quarterback position isn't going to be one of the spots they have to look at if Mo is able to come back in the fall. You've already got a scholarship taken care of. you are now got your third scholarship quarterback. And we talked about this on other shows. If you're down to Mo and no offense, um, you're probably not having a good season anyways if you've already lost your first and second string quarterback. So um, yeah, they're going to be looking for impact players in the portal. I, where they go as far as which position groups, that's going to be interesting. Um, and I think that's when we're listening to the coaches, that's probably going to be where you want to take away from. I don't know if offensive line is where they're going to go look for another impact player. I think they've got who they want. I think they just got to maybe move those guys around maybe one or two spots. Defensive line and linebacker is where you're going to see a real um, who's out there and who can we plug in right now.
0: Chris, I'm going to ask you a question, and then I'm going to ask the panel (laughs) a a further follow-up question on this question. But as a person who played college football. okay. If you are playing for Lincoln Riley and you are playing in spring ball right now, and you hear double digits are coming in, how does that affect you emotionally? In terms of, do you feel like you're in limbo? How do you how do you go about it? How do you treat it?
2: Well, I think it depends where you are on the depth chart. Um, <clears throat> there are some guys that are safe. I don't think I don't think Tule's looking over his shoulder, right? but I think there are a lot of guys on that roster who probably are what they're hearing from their coach is I'm not satisfied with the talent level of the team. And maybe I'm not satisfied with the work ethic of the guys in this program because that's the other side of it, right? If you, if you hear from the coach, (laughs) Lincoln Riley comes in at the end of last year, he watches a game where a bunch of USC guys didn't even bother to go to the game. He's watching a program that had been, let's be honest, on the whole, lazy for years. And I think Lincoln Riley's looking at that, and he's saying, if I want to change the culture of this place, I got a lot of fire under my guys. I I need guys who want to play, and I need guys who want to play Monday through Friday, not just on Saturdays. And so I think when he's talking about double digits, I think he means it. We'll talk about that in a second. But I think even on top of that, I don't think (coughs) – Lincoln Riley didn't say, look, we still have – Eight, we still have eight scholarships open. I can still bring in quite a few guys. That's not what he says, because, and I think there's a reason he doesn't say it that way, because he wants the guys in this roster to realize, if you want to play football at USC, you've got to really want to play football at USC, and you've got to bust your butt every day. You got to be in the weight room. You got to be doing things right, because I don't want guys who won't. And I think he's sending a message to the team. I'm guessing a lot of the guys will get it, and the guys who are. <laughs> concerned they'll be left behind will probably leave and, and those guys should leave. The other thing is he needs more guys. He has a roster offensively that I think could probably be the best offense in the conference. Uh, you know, in Lincoln Riley's system with Caleb Williams uh, enough experience up front, you have some pretty good players that, uh, that you brought in at the skill positions. That's going to be a good offense if Caleb Williams stays healthy. But defensively, you do not have a roster right now that can get you to 10 and two. You don't. He needs to bring in four, five, or six guys in the front seven to, have, uh, to go <laughs> too deep with guys who can play in the defensive line and have guys at linebacker that we trust can, can do something. We'll talk about that in a minute, but I don't think he has that right now. And he knows he doesn't have that right now. So yeah, he's going to bring in some guys because he has to. He can't afford to go eight and four and have the momentum slip away. Right now, the college football world, uh, world looks at USC as a as a slumbering giant that's been awoken. That's what they think. That's what recruits think. If he goes eight and four and looks like crap next year, that's not going to help the cause. He needs to win 10 games. And to do that, he needs to get much better up front defensively. So, yeah, I think he's going to be, be bringing in a ton of guys up front in the front seven, and he has to.
0: Let me ask you guys a question. Actually, it could be in for another show, but since we touch on this, does spring ball change the way it has normally been? In other words, with this idea that I get transfers before spring ball, I lose players during spring ball after the depth chart, if they're even going to have one, and I'm going to get new players coming in who aren't going to know the system until the fall. Is spring ball going to evolve into something different than what we've seen before, Eric? What do you think?
3: Um, I you know having having taken now four seconds to consider that, uh, I I don't know. I mean, sure, because everything in college football is going to evolve with everything that's going on and and nil and and the transfer portal and guys being able to jump all over the place and and all that, but. Ultimately, no, the the coaches are going to go with whoever's out there, right? If you're here for spring ball, we're going to coach you up and and we're going to go, you know, with what we have, because ultimately a guy that you maybe have earmarked as this guy's clearly going to leave after spring ball, those 15 practices, the winter conditioning, all of that, all of a sudden he raises his game up a little bit. and, And now that plan has changed. So the idea that you can go into spring ball assuming you know every single thing that's going to happen after spring ball. I, I don't know. I, I don't ever see a, a point where you're getting to that. And, and I think that guys who come in in the summer, I mean, it used to be every single true freshman would land in the summer. And every year we had true freshmen, you know, doing something. Now guys have been in college football for three years, four years. When they come in in the summer, Malcolm Epps showed up in the summer. He was just fine in the fall. Darwin Barlow, had he not gotten hurt at the, at the beginning a fall camp, that guy's going to make, I think, an impact. So you can, you can bring guys in, in June, July, and they're going to be just fine when they do the summer, the summer stuff, the PRPs, the fall camp, all of that. At that point, they've been in your program forever and they're ready to go. So I, I don't see it as being kind of all these different things. Maybe spring ball ends up being more like bowl practices where you can get some young guys involved and, and see if you can kind of slingshot your your program forward a little bit and, and move your roster that way. Uh, but no, you're, you're going to go with what you have and, and you're going to wake up every day knowing, hey, we might add a new guy to our to our roster today. Some guy might jump in the portal today. We're going to be ready to go. If he's going to help our team, we're going to make a decision right then go after him. And, and that's how they're going to operate. We, we've talked to a couple guys who came in from USC or to USC via the transfer portal uh, this off season. Yeah, it was, I heard from USC immediately when I got into the transfer portal that, I mean, that that's kind of how, how fast things can change. All of a sudden Travis dies available and Hey, you're not as worried about losing Keontae Ingram in the off season because, you know, or, or losing him early. Cause now you can go get a guy like, like Travis Dye. So, uh, I, you know, I guess I, I don't know exactly how every single coach thought about spring ball, you know, as, as they went into it. Um, but I, I don't see like a massive change just specifically for that, because again, you're, you're, you're just putting your roster together on the fly as you go and, and you're coaching the guys that are there.
0: All right, Mr. Colkin. is it going to evolve? had more than four seconds to think about yeah i've had i've had a big big
3: answer
1: there i I put eric on the
0: spot because i knew he could handle
1: it No, i appreciate eric keep fouling it off man i was able to (laughs) to line it up now so um i actually think this is part of the evolution uh we you know i've talked about this in the past early signing period is your high school signing period your late signing period is you know you're, you're filling in the blanks hitting the transfer portal hard getting those last few elite guys who who, who need to run it up to the last minute, some like a Josh Connolly might take a little bit longer to sign. And then spring camp is going to be iron sharpens iron. All right, now I know where the holes are and I can go out now to the, hit the free agent market and really complete that unique roster to that national championship level. So I do think it's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, this is part of the evolution process.
0: All right, Chris, I've given you a chance to rest your golden throat. Uh, are you ready to pontificate and tell us, is there going to be an evolution of spring ball as we know it? Where, where are we headed?
2: Well, I think what's, what, what we're seeing is that you can bring in new players throughout the year <laughs> in a way that maybe you couldn't have before. I don't think it's going to change the way coaches run spring ball. I mean, spring ball is still going to be an opportunity to, um, to work on fundamentals, um, to implement the basics of your offense and defense um, <laughs> to build the right attitude uh, you know toughness discipline that's going to be true regardless so I don't think it changes what they do at practice what does, what does change is that in the old days if you're the starter in spring ball you know who the incoming recruiting class is you probably figure okay none of, the, none of those freshmen are going to beat me out or maybe eh There may be a guy there that's a challenge, but I've got a couple of years on him. I'm going to have my spot. Now you don't know that anymore. You have no idea who's going to show up uh, for for fall camp. And um, (laughs) as a result of that, you're probably not going to have a lot of complacency. And at, at a program like USC that has been complacency central for the last five or six years, that's probably a good thing.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, it's going to be interesting to see it. If anyone's going to to give us the model of it, it's going to be Lincoln Riley, because uh, he definitely understands what he's doing and why he's doing it. So uh, let's move on. It's halftime. Panel, uh, this is an interesting uh, question. Um, I was talking with my cousin, Steve, uh, who has been a longtime USC uh, season ticket holder. And we got into the conversation of the large coliseum video board so I in, in the course of the conversation I said you know this would be a good question to ask you guys has the large coliseum scoreboard video board become overbearing uh, an electronic noise machine and would you like to actually see the return of actual on the field yell leaders instead of video board yell leaders Chris what about you what do you, what do you think
2: um, I don't want any yell leaders I don't want them on the video screen. I don't want them on the field. Um, I do want less noise coming out of the uh, of the screen. Look, the screens are great. You can see replay in a way that you know back in the eighties, nineties when you're going to the Coliseum, you you can't see. So that's fantastic. Um, but the commercials and and the and the music and the instructions to the fans, yeah, I, I've had enough of all that. I don't want it. But I'd rather not go back to the days before we had the boards. I mean, if I if I have to take the boards and the nonsense, I guess I'd take the whole package. But I would rather I'd rather just have the board for uh, uh, for instant replays, and then in the old days, so they could put up uh, Clay Helton's picture, so I could boo it. But um, uh, other than that, I don't have much use for it.
0: <laughs> well, let's ask this question then to uh, Eric: Do you have much use for it, and what changes would you like to see? Is the board overbearing to you? Your thoughts?
3: I, I would like the, the experience in the Coliseum to have a little bit more of a uh, English soccer, English football fan thing where it's sort of crowd-generated chants and noise and all of that. I, I love the, you know, particular player chants and all of that kind of stuff. I, I'd love it if, if a USC crowd could kind of get that going. You see videos from people at Texas A&M and at Penn state and at Clemson and Virginia tech and, and wherever. And it, it's, it's just noise all the time. And I'm sure, I'm sure those places have a board, get up, make noise, whatever, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but, but that kind of uh, innate reaction response from some of the fan bases around college football is, is pretty fun and something where, I think USC in in the past has been able to replicate that. It's, it's kind of feels like maybe you're training the fans not to do that with, with some of the stuff. So that's what I'd like. I I don't, you know, the, the yell leaders and the whatever, and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I don't know. And I, and I think it's kind of like with, with Chris now where it just sort of is what it is. And and I enjoy, you know, the showing the seeing the stats and the replays and all of that kind of stuff. And so I'll, I'll kind of take it now, but yeah, I, I would love that. That would be, if I could change one thing about the, the USC experience at the Coliseum, uh, it would it would be that from the fans, wanting more kind of just spontaneous, you know, organized kind of cheers and, and
2: that sort of thing. I would like to see McKinney put in charge of that. Could you imagine if on like Friday evenings there was some sort of yell practice? Like I think they have an A&M and McKinney's in charge of it, you know, training the fans to do English soccer style uh, uh, cheering. That would be fantastic.
3: I I can't train any one of my kids to pick up their room. This would, it would not go well. That's that's
2: a different thing. That's a different thing. Kids are impossible. But but if you're talking about, if you're talking about the fan base, then I don't know, maybe you could, maybe you could work us up into a frenzy. I'd be excited to see it.
3: They, they'd at least have the same common goal that I would have. It wouldn't be just constantly fighting against me with that. And I, I'm disappointed that Greg went to me before Mark. I don't want to cut Mark up, but I was really looking forward to throwing this back to Greg with the question of why has the board become problematic to him, which I know he's just, he's just waiting to tee up and, and go after it.
0: Well, before Greg leaves the on-deck circle, coming to the plate is Mark Culkin, who I know will have an opinion on this
1: actually i i don't only actually, because I,
0: I mean let me clarify i don't think mark has an opinion on this one. i don't think mark
2: cares about this one way no, or he didn't
0: know he does not care about it you why know you
2: why, why you when I, was, when well, I was just pass just pass you don't have an opinion on
1: hunting is winning greg go <laughs> mark please please treat us to your opinion you no know, when i was you know standing mark. in the herd um I, I didn't really recognize it other than when I had to turn around just to watch a replay. A year later, they got another you know, big video screen on the other side of the Coliseum where my neck would have appreciated it. Now I'm up there in the press box, so I don't recognize the noise. What I do recognize is just a lot of infomercials, which I think you touched on, Greg. Um, Eric has the right answer, just more fan interaction. Um, maybe show some more highlights of the game of, from the past Get some, you know, reactions to that. Uh, I'm a big fan of maybe not the yell leaders, but, you know, if Eric can teach everybody how to do the uh, SoCal spell out with the right cadence and figure out how to get an oi, oi, oi in there in between, we've got a winning combination. Wait, wait, Mark, Mark, what is an
2: oi, oi, oi? That's are a we, soccer are, are thing. They, a they do, they do that
1: at soccer player? games, right? What are you doing? They do that at soccer games.
2: What about what about Greg Katz on the sideline with a towel doing the towel waiver thing? Thank you. Everybody, everybody bring a
1: torch.
0: I well, wait a minute. You know, am <laughs> it sorry, Greg. it's not time.
2: It's not time. You still didn't buy it. You didn't buy a bigger candle. You're still bringing stubby in. What is wrong with you? Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, that's a that's a discussion for another time, but let, let me yeah, just about I'm 10 just, about
2: 10 minutes. I guarantee we're gonna have 10. it. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> okay. Now um, I would just like to say when it comes to this that I agree with Mark about the Southern California spellout. I think the video board has its place. Replays, uh, you know, recognitions on the field. What they don't have is they do not have a yell leader's mentality on who's directing the scoreboard when a good SoCal spell out could take place. Uh, someone to teach the people the tradition of it, when to say, uh, you know, defense, or, I mean, if you look at some of the SCC games, they are incredibly traditional. They'll start yelling, block that kick. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll do some of the things that, you know, l- yell leaders can kind of guide the crowd. I miss that the crowd does not get guided. Yeah. They sometimes go make some noise. Okay, fine. Thank you very much for that. Uh, You know, I I think, you know, yelling out first down or yelling out defense, uh, there are some things that if they got someone who has a football mind and understands the game with kind of melted with a a cheerleaders mentality in selected spots, I think that it it would be uh, make the scoreboard to better use, in my opinion, I'm sure that uh, Mike Bone is not watching this telecast or Brandon Sosa, no, he's probably is watching this telecast. but just food for thought. So uh, hopefully uh, it does cause attention to the scoreboard. So with that in mind, let's move on. Uh, We want to remind everyone before we begin the second half, uh, you're watching or listening to WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojans Huddle. This week's WeRSC panelists include Mark Culkin, Chris Arledge, Eric McKenney, and I am Greg Katz. We encourage you to check out WeRSC.com, part of the On3 network and become a subscriber to the best coverage of USC football and Trojans athletics. And as an added bonus for the curious, there is currently a special spring practice free wrsc seven day free trial and monthly or yearly discount options to view our exclusive On3 plus content, which includes analysis, breaking stories, and data for USC football, basketball, and the balance of USC athletics. All right. We begin the second half and the kickoff. Third quarter with this question. Gentlemen, name three offensive players that need to show the most spring improvement. Mark, who
1: are they and why? Spring improvement? Okay. Um, I'm going to go with Malcolm Epps. I'm going to start there. He's really probably... The one big wide receiver that they have returning um, that, you know, has some experience. Kyle Ford's another guy, but uh, everybody else is kind of in the same size speed race thing. So Malcolm X is one guy I love to see step up and and be that, you know what? Nobody's going to be able to guard him. You got third and four, third and short, whatever, go run a crossing pattern, get the first down, start the process over again. I'd love to see them define a role and, and have him be that guy, kind of like a Mike Williams. Um, I'd love to see Gary Bryant step up. I, I think everybody anticipates him stepping up. This is, you know, he's the, the guy probably returning with the most experienced out of the group um, that can is ready to say, all right, Pittman's gone now. Everybody else is gone. It's my team. Um, after that, on the offense, I'm going to go on the offensive line and I'm going to say Brett Nealon. And, and it's not that he's been bad per se, but if I have supreme confidence that he's not going to get pushed back into the running back or pushed back into the quarterback at the point of contact, um, I feel a lot better with Caleb Williams or Miller Moss or whoever's back there running the show um, running the offense efficiently. So, uh, Malcolm Epps, Gary Bryant, Brett Nyland in that in that already.
0: Very good,
2: Chris. Your trio. I'm going to start with Caleb Williams, um, which is strange because he may be the best player on the team, but the truth is he's only started nine games, and and he was a true freshman last year. Um, usually, that jump from freshman to sophomore is a big one. Uh, Lincoln Riley was talking earlier about <laughs> how much he still has to learn. If USC is going to uh, win the Pac-12 and compete for a playoff spot, maybe that's a little bit too ambitious, the latter. But if they're going to do that, it's because Caleb Williams is great. He's going to have to be great this year. So I would like to see him really up his game. I think he's going to be fantastic, but, um, but he should be substantially better this year than last year. Uh, and then I'm going to go <laughs> – I'm going to give you three names, and we need at least two of the three to step up. Uh, Monheim, Murphy, and Gibbs. Um, three big guys, all of whom have some talent. Uh, <coughs> I think we need two of those three to turn out to be really good football players this coming year. Um, and, <coughs> and I'm hopeful that will happen. Um, you know, if Gibbs continues to shed weight, uh, we'll see whether he can be a, a road grader uh, like we had with uh, John Drake or uh, deuce latui um uh, monheim and murphy are both guys who i think everybody's pretty excited about their future um but their future probably needs to be this year so we need two of those three to step up
0: all right eric who's stepping up what three do you need to see improvement from
3: yeah chris is on the right track and i'm upset that he went uh before me um, Caleb Williams is absolutely one of my three and I mine are kind of all along the lines of I'm fine. If you've got 11 good players on offense or on defense, it, it's not good enough though. You, you need elite guys. You, you need the best in the country. If you're going to be that good, you, you can have kind of a, a C plus B minus somewhere. If you've got some a pluses uh, at, at different spots. And so for Caleb Williams to go to an a plus this year, I think that's big. And so for me, he's, he's definitely one of the three for this spring that you want to see, take a step forward. And again, I'm not picking guys who are, you know, D minuses and I want, I want them to go to a C plus like that. This is talking about good players that I want to be elite. And that's why number two for me is Corlin Ford at left tackle. Again, a pretty good left tackle. Fine. No, an elite left tackle to, to help Caleb Williams to, take this offense kind of to where it needs to go. I think that's important. I think for him to kind of establish himself as that big time left tackle. We talked a lot about backup quarterbacks. I'd like to not see a backup quarterback for, for a season. That, that would be kind of nice to be able to keep your starter healthy uh, for, for the length of an entire year. Uh, that'd be a new thing for, for USC um, over the last couple of years. So him there, and then I went with a, a wide receiver too. Brendan Rice, when he showed up uh, at USC and walked out of the the tunnel, came out of came out of the McKay Center the first time. It was kind of a double take. That that's Brendan Rice. He is he is yeah. a big, good looking kid. I mean, it, it's his arms are are just popping out. He looks kind of like a linebacker, maybe maybe a rush end um, playing there, and and he's a guy that kind of hear people in the program and other players buzzing about a a little bit, just kind of what he's able to do that size, strength, speed ratio. uh, I don't think it's that easy to just say, Oh, he could be Drake London because Drake London was that good. I think it's disrespectful to him to say another guy could, could, could come in and be that, but I don't think you're that good as an offense. If you just have eight good, pretty good to good receivers. I, I think you need, one, two, you know, maybe three, but but certainly one or two guys to be to be great, to be elite. And so uh, if it's if it's Brendan Rice, that's the guy I went with. If it's Gary Bryant Jr. taking that step, if it's Mario Williams taking that step, I think SC needs needs one of those wide receivers to take a big jump this spring and come out of spring where everyone knows, all right, that that's a guy. That's a guy, and it's not gonna be a rotation. Of six seven eight guys and hopefully you know three or four of them catch a bunch of passes every game
2: hey do you think rice can handle the pressure of uh, of, of following drake london i mean is that is that a guy that's used to living in somebody's shadow and having to perform with big expectations i never heard of him can you imagine i mean can you honestly can you imagine other than being michael jordan's kid and playing basketball can you imagine I mean, Jerry Rice's kid and playing. And play, he's got he's got a good person. head
3: on his shoulders about it, too. I mean, it's it's impressive <laughs> kind of the way he he does go about it and doesn't shy away from it. And and he knows, you know, it's yes, there there's Jerry Rice, there's Drake London. There, there's the history of playing at USC, and a lot of these transfers that have come in, they've totally embraced the idea that and, and Lincoln Riley too, Caleb Williams, all these guys, they, they've embraced the idea that they're coming to usc to make usc what it was and they know the weight that's on their shoulders where if they come and they swing and miss and don't do it they they know they're going to hear about that and that's kind of going to be defining for them going forward so it's kind of applause to any of these guys coming in right now knowing knowing what's waiting for them and and the expectations that they're taking on
1: i i asked brendan on tuesday last week if there was any intimidation you know, on his part coming to USC, you know, just on what you were touching about there, Eric, you know, the players that were there before him, not to mention he's Jerry's kid. And, you know, now you've got to level up to the players that USC has recruited and put in the NFL and, you know, match your, match your dad's name at the same time. So uh, he, he answered it well. That you know, hey, I, I've played against these guys. I played against the guys at those other schools. So he's not intimidated. He could be that guy. He already has that mindset. Apparently, what uh, what I think was was interesting is we all mentioned the offensive line in some way, shape, or form. So um, that will help Caleb Williams get better. Period. If the offensive line. Any one of them, Cortland Ford or ones Chris rattled off, Brett. That'll help. That'll help Caleb get much, much better.
0: All right, well, I'm going to donate my my trio. Uh, some of you have already mentioned some of these names, so I won't uh, belabor the point, but Brett Nealon, I, I hope we'll have improvement. I think he works really hard. I think he's a great team player, but he has had his challenges uh, in dealing with oversized uh, nose tackles. Uh, hopefully, the new training and conditioning thing will put him in a position where he, he's able to not get bull rushed uh hopefully so he's a good kid a great kid and i hope it does uh, help his development this spring uh miller moss to me is important because as eric pointed out the trojans just can't seem to keep a quarterback healthy i don't know who does through 12 games but moss has the double challenge of doing uh learning the new system uh, being behind, knowing he's being behind uh, Caleb Williams, uh, but also learning uh, not only just the system, but what Lincoln Riley wants, because I think the chances are great that he's going to see some action at some point. Uh, people can argue, well, the Pac-12 is as good as the SEC. Let me tell you something. If you get hit by a Pac-12 player and they get a shot at you, they can rearrange your molecules just like any other conference Might be not overall athleticism uh, and maybe a little bit of physicality difference, obviously, from some of the other conferences. But if they get a shot at the quarterback, they're going to take you down. Uh, The other player I would like to see improvement from and just see what position they're going to put him at is Jonah Monheim. He's gotten a lot of uh, attention on whether he's a tackle or right tackle or a guard. Uh, Where is he coming from? You know, there is concern about the tackles. We don't know what's going to happen uh, with with uh, th- that position, especially the right tackle position. Uh, so Monheim to me, would be a person uh, that you would want to uh, really hope will develop, and uh, hopefully he will. So let's begin the fourth quarter with perhaps the most controversial of all the items we ever do week to week. I would like to dedicate this to – this is going to be a new thing – we're going to dedicate the torch lighting to somebody on the panel. Now, it was very difficult for me to try to figure out all the candidates, Mark is tremendous, Eric is tremendous, Kevin, but I don't think there's anybody that should get the first dedication. If I had a scoreboard, we'd put his name on there. So uh, in honor of, uh, oh, look at that. You knew that Chris Arledge, this one's for you, buddy. Uh, well, what a, the, there you go now look at it is because it's arledge for those of you on video look how this torch has lit up knowing that chris arledge is the honorary first person
2: yeah and i was thinking it, the same thing that candle is putting forth more of an effort uh than in past episodes and i you know, appreciate I, that look it, this is a tremendous honor it's a tremendous honor that is, you chose to recognize is. me with that ridiculous looking candle thing. And I thank you, Greg, I thank the rest of the panel, I thank the viewing audience. Uh, I think uh, this is a day that all of us will remember and most of us will try to forget.
0: All right, let's, uh, let's move on here to the fourth quarter question. Uh, let's name three defensive players that need to show the most spring improvement. Uh, Eric, why don't, you, uh, why don't you begin with uh, your trio? of who you want to see improved
3: yeah pick them out of a hat i mean, just look at the roster and and give me three names and, and this is again what what i'm talking about where guys need to become uh, elite players on that side of the ball you, you need guys where right now if, if you look at the usc defense and you're trying to to pick a guy out for next year to put on the media guide or, or something like that i, I think you've got tuli tuli tulipiloto up front um I think Nick Figueroa he battled some injuries, but he's a guy that I would certainly count on. And then Kalen Bullock's a guy that that showed you a lot last fall, but still was a true freshman. Still made mistakes. Ha- has proven nothing in terms of yeah, this you know this guy's an All Pac-12 player and and a you know three and out guy or or that kind of thing. I, I think I'd bet on him, but that's that's kind of where you are for the whole defense right now. So so I think you could put. Everybody in there for me, the guys that I went with, uh Corey Foreman is is a guy for me that I think needs to take a step for a, a bunch of different reasons. One, he's really talented and you want to get his full ability out on the field. Uh and, and we're gonna kind of see what his health allows him to do at some point. Like in Riley said, he expects him to be able to go at least by the end of spring. Um, but two, when USC signs guys like that, they have to produce. You you can't kind of keep giving other programs ammunition to say if you're a big time recruit and you go to USC you're not going to produce on the field and you're not going to get picked in the NFL draft. That's something that has happened too often uh, over the last again talking about five, six, seven years and so I, I think a couple reasons the USC needs him to take that next step and, and also like we talked about you need guys you, you need to be able to rotate guys in. you need you know eight defensive linemen and a, a few of those kind of rush rush linebackers there to be able to contribute right now. Uh, So he's there for me, the the other guy, another guy I went with is Prophet Brown at corner. I think if he could take a big leap that gives you kind of some answers. Makai Blackman I know came over from Colorado. He's got a lot of experience and and I'd expect him to factor in to one of those starting spots, but you lost Isaac Taylor Stewart, you lost Chris Steele, you lost a a bunch of starts and and a lot of experience. Uh, and, And so you need guys there, I think, I'd probably put Josh Jackson in with Prophet Brown. Uh, again, we haven't seen Josh Jackson go fully uh, this spring yet in, in terms of his health. And then the the other guy I went with is defensive tackle. And I'll say all their names together. I mean, I'm talking Brandon Peely, uh, Stanley Taufo, uh Jamar Sikona, Kobe Pepe, Tyrone Telani, Earl Barquette, all of those guys. Make that one guy. Um, and we, we need to see that position take a big step forward, I think that is probably spot one or, or two of when you're talking about double digit additions this offseason, you're looking at at big guys up front like that who can who can contribute right now. Uh, so a big step forward from that group kind of from Sean newest group all, all across the board, all those guys. Um, I, I think that's important this spring.
0: All right. Now, let's remember we're, we're naming three guys. Right. That
2: was
3: three <laughs> or three.
2: There's three you know, and then more than got, three, but you you know, he made it, it. He named the entire, u- the entire unit to start his answer, the entire unit at
0: one point. Made, and notice, there made, was a he point. He was
1: narrowing it down to yeah. three.
2: Well,
0: no, no. He Even
2: identified by name about 18 guys later. Eric is that
1: person in the express line at Ralph's. It says 10 or less, but he's got 18 items. Says, on, but just, just let me go.
3: At one point, at one point of that answer, I had named three guys. And I think I think that falls under the rules. That's true.
0: Well, you did take the three guys exception and use it to your ability. You you it was a fabulous dissertation. All right, Colkin, what, what do you got
1: to say for yourself? I, I think Eric answered it for all of us, but i used um, his three, oh so, don't yeah, say for him, all look at three. chris is already i'll tell you
2: right now he didn't answer it for me don't try to <laughs> don't try to do that to me Coltrane. Okay,
1: i'm going to go with chris well, i'm going to go with eric's first three names out of that he mentioned because right now um and then i'm going to add Corey Foreman since we're taking liberties here uh, he was the
3: first name i mentioned <laughs>
1: <laughs> actually i want to go i want to go i want to go with I want to go with Thule, Nick, and Kalen. I think. Oh, yeah, first.
3: you're right. You're right. I did. I did say those two first. Okay.
1: Okay. So, because they are probably <laughs> the three best defenders on the team right now, um, as long as they are getting better, uh, they're going to cover up for the deficiencies that are going to get filled in. Um, we know that Thule is what he's capable of. We know that when Nick is healthy, what he's capable of. And we saw what Sticks is, was able to do as a freshman. He's now getting bigger. Um, so if those three guys continue to, you know, project up as they have been, we're good. Corey Foreman is the guy, as you know, you touched on, Eric. You can't have the number one defensive player or have any number one player on your roster not develop. And if, if he's not going to be that guy, you can you know you you rattled off everybody else it doesn't matter you know there's not another number, number one guy out there waiting to transfer to USC okay
0: now chris would you like to respond now to three guys
3: i had another guy actually i'm going to jump I, I had six <laughs> or seven more guys wanted to go with before chris could talk <laughs>
2: Go ahead. Once you name all the guys in the roster, then you'll take everybody. And, uh, I've
3: got walk-ons. We, we can hit. We can hit on some of those
2: guys too. I mean, Colkin already said. I'll just. I'm just going to name the same guys that Eric did, and I don't know how. It's hard to avoid that. I've been trying to rack my brain for guys that you didn't actually name. Uh, I'm going to start with one you did name because it's too important. Corey Foreman's a god, right? I mean. When you have recruited as poorly along the defensive line as USC has over the last few years, and they, and they, both in terms of, uh, of, of numbers and in terms of the backgrounds, the guys they've landed, which doesn't mean that the guys they have on the roster aren't good. It means there aren't nearly enough of those guys and the guys they have aren't proven, but when you've recruited poorly along the defensive line, but then you land the number one guy, you got to get some production out of that guy. You can't, Pete Carroll could afford to have Whitney Lewis turn into Whitney Lewis. I don't think Lincoln Riley can afford to have Corey Foreman be the defense of Whitney Lewis. He can't. If Corey Foreman uh, plays the way he's capable of playing and becomes a terror off the edge, then with him, with, him, with Thule, with Nick Figueroa, you don't yet have great depth. You don't yet have great depth, but you have a pretty good foundation. Uh, that you can build on uh, with, the, with the guys that you'd like to see step forward and with the transfer uh, guys. So Corey Foreman has to do it. Uh, number two for me, uh, Raylan Goforth. I don't think Lincoln Riley has any desire to start Goforth next year. I'm going to say it bluntly. I know he's running with the first team. I don't think he has any desire to do that. And I think he's going to do everything he can to find somebody to plug that other inside linebacker spot with Shane Lee, Okay. That being said, he doesn't have that guy yet, and Goforth has a lot of experience. What he doesn't have is a lot of production. Well, I remember when he was recruited, <coughs> this was a guy people talked about, really has a nose for the football. He's a smart guy. He may not be the most gifted athletically, but this is a guy who makes plays. And I was thinking, well, maybe this is going to be a Matt Gruden type. the time. Maybe he's that kind of player. Um, if he's going to be that type of player, we haven't seen it yet. He, if he wants to play, he needs to step forward significantly. I bet he knows that. I mean, he probably doesn't listen to this program. If he does, he might be a little bit offended by what I'm saying, but he probably knows I'm right. He didn't play very well last year. The linebackers as a group didn't play very well last year. Um, if he's going to, if he's going to play in the fall, he needs to get a lot better. And, uh, and I hope he does. Uh, For my third guy, (coughs) I'm actually going to go a little unconventional. I'm going to go Dante Williams because USC needs some corners to step up. USC's corner play was lousy last year, and that was when I expected it to be pretty good. He had some talented guys who had a lot of experience. Maybe the best best spin we can put on it is that Dante wasn't allowed to be a cornerback coach because he was thrust into the head coaching position. Uh, And because of that, that position group suffered. Fine. I'm willing to give him a mulligan on that. But he's got some talented guys at that position this year, too. I mean, it's not like defensive line where you're looking at the lineup saying, we got some guys, but not enough. At corner, frankly, I think there are plenty of guys who can play corner. The question is whether Dante can coach them. And I don't know that we know the answer to that yet. He didn't last year. So is Dante an elite recruiter or is he an elite coach? If he steps up and that unit plays well, that's going to be a tremendous help to the front set.
0: Okay. Um, I think that, uh, again, you have all mentioned people that I would have mentioned. Uh, my three would be Brandon Peely. Uh, I know he's coming off the big surgery. He looks raring to go. It's all uh, going to be about, does he want to play to his ability? If he does, that's going to be a great thing for the defensive line. I, too, believe that Raylan Goforth uh, is somebody that really needs to improve. Uh, I think that he got a lot of pub coming out. uh, And I I don't know whether I can honestly say that Lincoln Riley doesn't want him. uh, But he's certainly in a position to to take the job if he can improve. Uh, And finally, of course, Corey Foreman. Uh, for all the reasons you've said, I mean, if you're going to put the guy on the Galen Center marquee uh, next to the, uh, you know, the uh, 110 freeway and you're marketing him like that, you need to be a true stud out there. And I think Corey, uh, for whatever reason, uh, I don't know, do we know exactly what is wrong with him and why he's being held out or being cautiously uh uh, brought along in spring. Do any of you know? I do not know. Uh, back leg. Left leg, in
1: left, left leg injury. We'll, left yeah. leg.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, we hope that Corey gets better, but we think that he needs to get much better because it's all going to revolve around him. I think they'll put him in the right position to uh, be the most effective. I don't think he's going to be, at least I hope not. A Drake Jackson out there covering grass and uh, looking around going, okay, what do I do next? Okay, Chris, well, You're ready to go. I can tell it. I can feel it.
2: I think they're going to move in the middle linebacker like Monty did some years ago with an edge rusher.
1: You, you heard it first on
0: Inside the Trojans. Huffle.
1: Where's Will to... Smith when you need him? What's that? Walk... Where's Will Smith when you need him walking up to Chris and just slapping him? You know, that was a good segue, Mark. You know, I could that <laughs> actually Eric is sitting there like, oh, Uh
0: did I just hear what he said? <laughs> we, we, RSC right.
2: not, we RSC does not condone violence, kids. And no, we do
0: not do that. Absolutely, we do not do that. Mark Loken will
2: probably be suspended for next week's program as a result of this. At least he will be if I have any say.
1: Love well, will make you do crazy things, Chris. <laughs> All
0: right, let's move on. We're in overtime. All right if you could go back in time either before you were born or already on the planet, what USC game, either home or away, would you like to watch or relive again in person? Chris, what is your dream scenario? If you could go back in time, what would you like to be a part of?
2: Well, I like to see the 74 comeback game. I was born in 73, so I didn't watch that one. I would, um, I'd like to see that one. Uh, or if it's a game that I that I did see um, that I'd like to relive, Bush-Push. Push. That was the greatest sporting event I've ever been to. And uh, if I could be in that stadium again for the last few minutes of that, I would, I'd do it in a second.
0: Eric, what do you think? What would you like to see again in person?
2: Yeah, the,
3: those are some uh, <clears throat> pretty good ones. And the 74 USC Notre Dame, talking about games that that i did not see yeah that that's right at the top of the list um i went to I, i was living in uh chicago in 2005 um right writing for the site still but i went to two games that year and and one of them was the notre dame game out there and the other one was the the usc texas game um i don't think i could stomach that texas game again but but seeing the uh Seeing Reggie Bush there and then I, I'll go kind of off the board here um, and, and I'm going to I'm going to try to get all the details right. But uh, so my my mom grew up in a, in a very big USC household that she was going to games from the time she was a baby. Uh, my grandma and grandpa had season tickets forever and ever. Uh, she grew up rooting for USC and that, that's how it was. Um, her her two sisters and, and her brother. Uh, she ended up going to Cal where she found herself in the Cal student section in a game against USC. Mike Battle (laughs) catches a bunt, takes off for a touchdown. She instinctively rises up cheering, wearing her Cal uh, shirt in the middle of the student section. It did not go over well uh, for for her with the people surrounding her. Uh, my, My grandparents were at that game. Uh, my grandfather actually happened to have the binoculars on her at that time um, and and she he was trying to find her in the student section saw her do that and so he got to witness it. I, I'd love to be able to see that um, that, that kind of reaction uh, to that play wearing those colors cheering for for USC.
0: What a great back to the future story that is Mark what do you, what do you would say you?
1: Yeah, um, obviously, um, I would have loved to have been able to attend the '74 FC Notre Dame game so, that would be one, um, a game that I did attend that I with Eric as well. I don't want to ever relive again. Would be the Rose Bowl loss against Texas. That was the longest walk down this from the top of the stadium out through the parking lot back to the car that I've ever experienced in my life, and I just don't want to feel that pain again. So um, the one game that I went to that and. It, honestly enough it was usc versus cal 2004 at the coliseum i want to go back to that because that last four down series um and that closed end of the uh, of the coliseum was was loud i mean you could feel it viscerally in your body you're that's how how loud it was um to, to see manny wright make the two plays in his career while at sc to help preserve that win um, yeah, that was that was fun. That's what the Coliseum felt like for a long time, and that's where it needs to get back to. It was a defense that won the game against a pretty good quarterback who had a pretty good game,
2: and a pretty good running back on that team too.
1: That Cal team was loaded.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: guys,
0: referring to of course is Aaron Rodgers at quarterback and Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yes, Manuel Wright made the play of his life. And two probably players. the play of the two plays, okay, of, of, the, of the season for the Trojans to, to continue their march. Um, I will conclude this segment by saying I was 24 years old when uh, the Trojans played uh, the Irish in 74. I've never seen in the second, I've never seen more depression in the first half than when Essie was down 24 to 6, I think it was. Uh, it was miserable. It was like this can't be happening but it was certainly understandable and the second half i have never seen anything like it uh you know it was just unbelievable um and i look back at the bush push that was certainly a great great moment uh there are so many highs and lows but you know when you're When you're younger, you see a game one way, and when you're older, you see maybe a replay of the game and it looks different to you. But I think the game that I would like to revisit again, besides all the highlights, because of the buildup, because of the way it played out, (coughs) I would like to go back to the 1967 USC-UCLA game. Uh, It was so intense. In those days, of course, half the Coliseum was USC, Half the Coliseum was uh, UCLA, and there, that was a, a very odd feeling to see half the crowd either cheer or, or boo or whatever have you, and uh, it was such an emotional game. I did not realize, even at the time, how much UCLA dominated USC for three quarters, and I was talking with uh, our colleague Kevin Bruce, and we both were agreeing that really uh, UCLA uh, was really having the upper hand. But that 64-yard run by Simpson turned everything upside down. It was incredible, given everything that was on the line. Gary Beban, the quarterback for UCLA, went on to win the Heisman Trophy. Probably should have gone to Simpson, to be honest, that year. But what an incredible uh, moment, array. And then even at the end, the Trojans had to go sack Beban at the end. The crowd was just in a frenzy. It reminded me of being maybe in the Roman Coliseum back in that time period of the Roman Empire, the, I mean, like the fans were just crying out for savage hits, okay, and I remember Jimmy Gunn sacking uh, Gary Beban, and uh, it was absolutely, in fact, when the game was over, I think both teams and the attendance were just completely worn out. It was just that intense from the beginning to the end, so if there was one game that I would like to relive, it'd be the 67 game with a full coliseum crowd of you know ninety seven thousand or whatever it was national television it was really something to, to see so <laughs> excuse me so that wraps it up folks for this edition of inside the trojan subtle reminder the next week we'll continue our weekly review of spring mall as well as related college football topics so until then a big thank you to this week's panel the great mark culkin the great chris Garlidge, and the great eric mckinney And a special thank you to all of you for watching or listening to Inside the Trojan Settle. Until next week, this is your host, Greg Katz, reminding you all to fight on, everybody.